Are you sad when the crypto markets are down? Does a little tear come to your eye because you don't want to look at your block folio? Are you fearful that your coins are going to turn to dust? Brush away those tears and fears because now there's a solution for those crypto doldrums. It's the new and improved Bad Crypto Podcast. Available four times per week on your favorite podcast player, the Bad Crypto Podcast will turn that frown upside down. That's right. The Bad Crypto Podcast slices, dices, purees, boils, and fries your sadness and turns it into crypto gladness and now for a limited time you get an imaginary airdrop of one zillion super bitcoin supreme gold platinum titanium ultra wowser tokens from the imaginary bitcoin fork it's the bad crypto podcast episode number 144 now with less banter the bad crypto podcast is intended for listening consumption only do not consume while operating heavy machinery as laughter might lead to unfortunate accidents do not sprinkle on your salad not applicable in all countries void where prohibited Mr. Travis Wright, I crack me up. That's good. I mean, this is the new and improved bad uh, bad crypto podcast. So, does that mean the, all the other ones sucked? Well, the previous ones didn't puree or boil. Uh, this one does. Mm, okay, that's good. That's good to know. That's very helpful. Yeah. So, uh, and of course, there's the imaginary airdrop of you know the one zillion super bitcoin supreme gold platinum titanium ultra wowser tokens those are the best those are those are better than bad coin yeah that's like the 847th bitcoin fork that hasn't happened yet so i can't (laughs) wait till that happens had you heard that bitcoin is dead i've heard that before yeah 300 times or something like but then some people say all the other ones are dead and bitcoin is alive and well Mm-hmm. That's true. In fact, uh, today's interview is going to illustrate that perfectly because we've got Jimmy Song with us. And uh, the song jokes come, you know, fast and furious at the beginning, and then we let up on them. Yeah, because he's never heard those jokes before. But I tell you what, as a Bitcoin maximalist, it's great to hear Jimmy's opinion on Bitcoin. He works on the Bitcoin Core uh, team. He has been a developer for a long time. He's worked on a lot of startups. He is very... Uh, opinionated uh, with his opinion because people are so's your dog your dog your dog is opinionated too he's my dog is opinionated i think somebody's coming to the door and he's all like not in my neighborhood no he's he's talking about dogecoin he's like when lambo when moon (laughs) yeah he's like what's going on with the doge yeah so uh so it's great i'm i'm really excited that we had him on here i saw him at the uh consensus i saw i was watching the consensus live and he said some some interesting things and so we're glad to have him on this episode of bad crypto mr joel Comp. we're also glad to have our sponsor new alchemy along for the ride you know we are not financial advisors but if you are serious about your blockchain company some of you are starting your own and you want some truly expert advice about icos and access to a range of blockchain development services perhaps new alchemy can help you out i bet they can they are known for their economic modeling expertise within the industry and the new alchemy team employs game theory to design token strategies for their ico clients that inspire action encourage growth of user base and build a self-sustaining token ecosystem learn more about these guys check them out they're super cool we think you will like what they do newalchemy.io i'm inspired already mr Com. i'm perspiring you are oh we better get to this interview then let's do it Mr. Travis Wright, you like songs, right? You know, we sing we sing lots of songs on Bad Crypto all the time. 
We do. We're we're big fans of, of songs of all kinds. I like randomly you busting know, out into songs for no reason. Uh huh. I like uh, rock and roll songs. I like uh, jazz songs. I like blues songs. I don't like country western songs though. We have a different kind of song with us, though, for uh, for this interview here on Bad Crypto. It is the one and only Jimmy song. And Jimmy is a longtime Bitcoin developer. He's an entrepreneur. Um, he has worked with uh, a lot of different companies for creating blockchain solutions. And earlier this year, he joined Blockchain Capital as a venture partner. He is more of what you would call a Bitcoin purist and we're going to find out what that means as we delve into this interview and he might have run out the door already but just in case he hasn't jimmy song welcome to bad crypto oh thanks for having me you do you do realize i wear a cowboy hat and my last name is song so you said you don't like country western songs so i don't know (laughs) i don't know what you're saying here uh i don't know maybe it was a mistake i don't know I'm saying all my exes live in Texas. Yes. And I, and I've got friends in low places. <laughs> well, there Actually, my very first job was at a country music radio station. So I will I will have some redemption here for us, Mr. Joel Com. Thank uh, you. I'm glad. That was good. That was good stuff. So I want to I want to ask you a little bit about this. So I mean, you know, I I was watching the consensus live stream. And uh, I I literally busted up laughing when Amber, you know, got on there and she was talking about her new program, uh, new project Clover. And she was billing it as this pragmatic connection between enterprise and public chains. And then you just busted out and said, yeah, I really didn't see anything other than buzzwords. It's like, let's play buzzword bingo. And the whole crowd went crazy. And I was like, yes, we have to get Jimmy Song on bad crypto. So thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you for yeah, thank you for that. I mean, I uh, I think the video is actually up on the CoinDesk website now, so you can probably link it in the show notes. But it's not on YouTube, so it's not like easily linkable from Twitter, unfortunately. But yeah, it, yeah. that was a lot of fun. That was a lot. That was like real time trolling in your face. I was like, that is a good job. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if I call it trolling, but I I mean, you, it, I don't know if you watched that presentation, but it was just. It was literally, uh, what the hell is she talking about? Like private and public blockchains? First of all, there aren't that many private blockchains. And why the hell do you need a bridge? And she, uh, like, it was all social signaling, all about like how all these other companies are joining this thing. It, it was like, uh, it, it was so devoid of anything technical that it got me very frustrated. And I think what I, I what I said was basically what the audience was thinking. And you can always tell because the audience sort of let out like a sigh of relief when I said that, right? Like they were they were just like, oh man, I guess I'm not stupid. Uh yeah, like that didn't make any sense. And uh, you know, this this guy's actually telling it like it is. And you could you could feel the entire crowd like wake up. They were like, uh, like you know, it was like four thirty in the afternoon, right? And everyone's just kind of like, you know, they they've been pitched like one timeshare presentation after another, and then finally, I say that, and they're like, wait, wait, I need, oh, I should pay attention to this. This is gonna get that, good. That was like the highlight for me. It was so funny because you're watching all these different presentations where they're talking about some basic blockchain type stuff to a room full of people who are building epic things in blockchain and like you know it seemed to me that the content needed to be a little deeper there for that particular event but uh yeah yeah i mean that not only like deeper but i like it 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 just glossed over everything so it it really could have been deeper 
but it was it was so much based on like social signaling which i am like so sick of it's like oh you know we had this company looking at it and this company and these are advisors and that's why you should invest in our project it's it, it sickens me that that's what sells these days. It's not about the actual tech or what you've written or the code that you have. It's all about who's on your team and what companies are backing. Has, now, hasn't I, it I, always been that way, though? I mean, you say these days, but, you know, social signaling and, and trying to pass off legitimate projects just because of, you know, who's involved is a marketing trick as old as time. Yeah, it, it, it is. I, I, I guess I, I that rankles me as an engineer because I, I always believe that, you know, good tech should win. And it's uh, it, it's so sad to me that, you know, people just sort of refuse to dig deeper and they stay at the social signaling level and don't do actual due diligence. And don't rankle Jimmy Song, Mr. Travis Wright. Don't <laughs> rankle him. I try not to, but let, let's pop back in time a little bit. You know, some of our audience may not be familiar with you and your background. You mentioned that you're an engineer. You've, we know you've done a lot of stuff in the startup world. So maybe kind of share your background and give us the, the origin story uh, about whenever you became involved with this Bitcoin digital money stuff. Yeah. So I, uh, I started as a programmer right out of college uh, back in 98. So you, you guys can figure out how old I am. But yeah, I, uh, I I went to a startup in uh, in Cambridge way back then, uh, and I've been doing startups uh, ever since, pretty much. I mean, I, I've worked at a few companies, maybe that were considered a bit larger, but I don't think I've ever worked for a company that was say bigger than five hundred people. Uh, right around two thousand eleven is when I first heard about Bitcoin, and that was through a techie website called Slashdot, which isn't that popular anymore. Mm-hmm. Love uh, Slashdot. Back yeah, it, it, yeah, that that used to be the site, right? Like uh, news for nerds, important stuff. And uh, 2011, I saw a story on Slashdot that said something like Bitcoin has broken one dollar, and that was it, the origin of my interest in Bitcoin. Um, and it, it was uh, like when I read that, I was like, "What? What the hell is a Bitcoin? And why? Why did it?" Like what, who cares that, like, what does a dollar have to do with Bitcoin? And then I learned that it was digital money and all this other stuff and looked into it. Um, And one of the first things I learned was that there was a 21 million limit. And almost immediately I was just like, oh man, I need to go get some. I like, if, if this gets any traction whatsoever, I better be one of the first people to get in and not one of the last. And I think that's the reaction that most people have when they find out there's only 21 million and that there's sort of an enforced scarcity. And uh, and that's when I first learned about it. Now, it turned out that it was really difficult to go buy at the time. You had to like open an account on Mt. Gox, then open an account on Dwala, and then... And like, then lose it on Mt. Gox, right? Well, well, was, you had to deposit on Dwala and then transfer it to Mt. Gox buy it. And then like, at first, of course, I tried to mine and that didn't go anywhere. You know, I, I like had an AWS server that I wasn't using. So I like tried to mine on there. But of course, like, I was solo mining. So like, none of it worked. But you know, that that's what I tried to do at the beginning. But you know, I, I realized, okay, well, I, I better like go and uh, go and buy this. And it was too much of a pain. Uh, so I didn't buy it. And that's probably one of the biggest regrets of my life is not 
buying Bitcoin when I first learned about it. Later that year, I bought some, uh, but you know, it was of course higher than a dollar. It wasn't until 2013 that I really got into the development aspect. Um, so really my, my first reason for getting in was the economic aspect, uh, learning about the 21 million limit. And then, you know, latter thing was, hey, I'm a developer. I should really know how to do this stuff. And I fell down the rabbit hole. I started contributing to open source projects. And, you know, like five years later, here I am. I, I'm, I'm in a podcast interview with you guys. So, yeah, it's pretty, pretty, pretty impressive. You guys being on the show with us, I'm sure. I, I, I remember the exact same thing, having to use Dwala. It's all like I, I mined some Bitcoin back in 2010. I mined a block. Yay, I got 50 Bitcoin. And then the computer crashed. ended up throwing my computer away because I didn't even think about it. And then later on, I think it was 2012 or 2013, I had to do the Dwala thing to get, and then I do that the same thing you were talking about. And then I think I put like $500 or something in Dwala and I was going to buy, I think Bitcoin was somewhere around 50 bucks or something at the time. And then Dwala stopped working with, with Mt. Gox <laughs> sometime in there. And so I had the, the 500 bucks, hadn't gone through yet. And then so it was stuck on Mount Go it was stuck on Dwala. And so then I didn't get the $50 Bitcoin. And then I basically pulled the money out from Dwala and uh, got some groceries and weed. Yeah. Yeah. The stories of regret that you see from this industry are just. <clears throat> That would like, make for a good website. How rich you are. They're, they're billionaires <laughs> that are like, man, why did I buy more, man, when it was like 12 cents? I'm yeah, but now people are like, oh, why did I buy it at 20,000? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, what, you know, what are your feelings now about Bitcoin? You know, now that we've seen so many competitors come out and we've seen, uh, you know, the market cap go through the roof and now be down like 70% from the high what are your uh, long term thoughts about bitcoin now yeah I, i've i've i'm i'm okay with that like there there there've been like four crashes since i've been involved in bitcoin right uh the the 30 to like $1 and then 260 to like 50 and 1100 to like 180 20000 to what is it right now? Like almost like 50,000 right now. Yeah. But yeah, it's about to bust through. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm totally fine with that. And that's uh, that's the normal, you know, volatility that you experience with a with a new currency. Uh, there's a there's a rule in central banking. It's called the impossible trinity or something like that. Uh, you, you can't have uh, these three things, independent monetary policy, free capital flows, and a peg to another currency. You can't have all three at the same time. And what you're asking with stability is uh, fixed to a the dollar in some way, right? Like some, some steadiness with respect to the dollar. But Bitcoin has an independent monetary policy. It's, uh, it's, it's got a cap and there's a fixed supply. And the other one is uh, you definitely have free capital flows because people can come in and out of Bitcoin anytime you want. There's no central control there. So um, the only, only part of that trinity that can, that can really be changed is the peg to the dollar. And it, it's not pegged to the dollar. So it's going to fluctuate wildly. So um, to me, that, that's a very healthy sign. Uh, it, it's, it's actually a very bad sign when things are very steady with the dollar. Uh, that, that means there's manipulation going on. 
And when you remove localized volatility, what you end up with are black swan events with giant volatility just very infrequently. And that completely wrecks people. This, yeah, this is this is this is minor stuff. I think I think it's fine. If you know, so there's conversations now about there's they're looking into the Bitcoin trading manipulation and the price manipulation of you know using tether and some of that that other stuff and how you know big whales can kind of come in and like put a big sell block in or a big buy block and then take it out and kind of move the price at will. Like, what are your what are your thoughts on that and how can that actually you know be solved? Yeah, I don't know if you need to solve it. People are always going to seek to manipulate markets. Uh, I mean, you, you're kind of doing that by buying or selling, aren't you? Like uh, when you buy, you're you're taking uh, you're trying to take some Bitcoin off the market. When you sell, you're adding to the market. So I I don't I, I don't really care. Uh, I think long term, uh, like those are all short term moves, right? Like uh, okay. maybe some whale gets to buy some extra Bitcoin at a cheaper price or something. Maybe uh, you know some some other whale gets to sell at a more expensive price or something like that. But uh, you know th- those are you know day to day, week to week, maybe at most six month horizon problems. Uh, over the long term, I think all that stuff evens out, and what you want to look at are horizons of five to 10 years. And, and on those horizons, I think Bitcoin does just fine. If you, if you bought Bitcoin five years ago, that's 2013. I mean, that was a very volatile year. We went from something like $15 all the way to 1100 You bought at any of those points, you're still doing really well right now. And I, I, and I think it's going to be true five years. Well, we're up, we're up uh, 600% from, you know, a year ago, uh, January, right? I mean, it was, it was at a thousand. Yeah. yeah. So you, uh, your website is programmingblockchain.com. You're, uh, you know, a Bitcoin developer. Can you simplify uh, for us and then for our audience, I suppose, but, you know, if you just speak to us about it uh, in layman's terms, how does Bitcoin development happen and, and uh, along with that what impact does bitcoin core have on that development well so bitcoin core development and bitcoin development are two different things so bitcoin core development's an open source project where uh, you know there's a variety of developers there are sort of rules as to how you get something merged in and so on. Bitcoin development, uh, which is what I teach, is more about learning the protocol and uh, trying to create new stuff out of it. And it's uh, somewhat related to the open source project, but it doesn't have to be. You can create your own wallet after my course or something like that, which is uh, not necessarily what you would do with Bitcoin Core. Um, but Bitcoin core development has a particular process. It's um, if you're familiar with open source development, it, it's uh, it's a lot like that. It, basically, you have an idea, you create uh, you know some proposal to see if people are interested in doing that. To gauge that, uh, you might or might not code it afterwards. After you code it, then it goes through some review, you're likely going to have to write some tests for it uh, to prove that what you did was legit. Um, and it, after it goes through some amount of review, depending on whether or not it's consensus critical, uh, you know, your your change might get in or people might review it and say, well, can you change this because I have these concerns? And generally, the idea is you need uh, some amount of consensus before it gets into uh, you know, 
Bitcoin Core as a pull request. And at that point, you are now a Bitcoin Core contributor. And, you know, I mean, that's it's uh, normal for any open source project, you know, Linux or, uh, I don't know, Firefox or something like that. A lot of open source projects out there. And if you haven't worked in it, it's, you know, it's a little ego deflating. Definitely. Uh, there, There's a lot of people tend to think that they're better coders than they are. So they get their ego bruised a little bit. But that's that's completely normal. Uh, the standards. But not Jimmy's song. You don't because you're super amazing, right? Uh, oh no no no! I've <laughs> I've, I've, <laughs> I, I, I've, uh, I've made a lot of mistakes, uh, and you know, pretty much every developer goes through this, uh, and that's that's normal, and it's humbling, and this is partly why I tell people like you should totally contribute to open source development. It it makes you a better coder. I I've coded at companies. I've coded for open source. And open source is a lot harder because everyone's going to take a look at your code um, and they're going to analyze it pretty critically. Whereas in a company, oftentimes they don't require you to write unit tests or anything. They don't require you to add documentation. They don't require you to, uh, you know, justify whatever the hell it is that you wrote. Uh, so it, it, it's a lot easier to contribute code in that way, but it's also like not as rigorous. So it's uh, it's better to contribute to open source, I think, and I, I've uh, enjoyed it for a large amount of my life, and and you know it's, uh, that's that's the normal process. It's it's not anything special or different or, or crazy. How, how does a developer get to the point where they are accepted into the Bitcoin core or the Bitcoin development team? Uh, so I, I wrote uh, an article a while back, a gentle introduction to Bitcoin core development. And it goes through, you know, basically step by step what you should do. Um, okay. First thing is go, uh, go pull the source code, compile the source code, uh, run all the unit tests, run all the functional tests, make sure that they all pass. Otherwise, you probably set something up wrong. Um, and at that point, uh, you know, you can start by reviewing other people's code. Uh, now, you don't really have a good reputation yet. You have, in fact, no reputation at that point. But reviewing other people's code and being able to spot, um, you know, different flaws or concerns or something like that will get you some cred. And that's that's how you start is by reviewing other people's code, testing other people's code. If a certain part of the code isn't covered, maybe you write a unit test for them and tell them where to, uh, you know, where uh, where they, you know, put it in your repository and put a pull request to their pull request. And then they can, they can you know, take it or not. Or And, you know, there, there's plenty of code that's waiting to be reviewed. Um, for whatever reason, that's not the sexy part of Bitcoin core development is like reviewing other people's code. Like the sexy part is actually writing the code and everyone wants credit for writing. Uh, but, you know, reviewing is very important. And the general rule of thumb is that you should be reviewing like three times as many things as you are writing. Uh, so that's that's an excellent way to get in, you know, review other people's code, maybe write some tests. And then from there, like go on to, you know, write some unit tests because you're not going to hurt the core product in any way by writing tests. And people always want more test coverage. So that that's pretty easy to do. Um, you go and write tests, you, you learn how the system works and, you know, what parts of the code do what, what corner cases there are and what, how you cover those. Uh, and then once you've done that, then maybe you can contribute by adding some actual code to the code base. 
But, you know, all of these things are very important. And, and you know, like you, you sort of work your way up slowly as, as, as a meritocracy. And the more good work you do, the better your reputation becomes. Um, someone like John Newberry only started contributing maybe early last year. So he's only been a core developer for like a year and a half. But for 0.15, he, was, he had the most commits in that release. Uh, and that's because, you know, he's dedicated himself. He's, uh, you know, learned a lot of stuff that uh, that's very relevant. He's reviewed a lot of code. He's contributed in all sorts of ways ever since he joined Chain Code Labs to do well, Sort of a meritocracy. Like if you put in the work and do good stuff and uh, you prove that you're worth it, then you get to kind of move up the food chain bit. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it doesn't matter if you're like a PhD, CTO, you know, super person, or if you're like a 14-year-old from India. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's all about what work you've done and how you've done it you know, whether or not you have a good, uh, you know, reputation as a result of the work you've done and not gives another meaning to proof of work. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, literally you should change your bio to Jimmy Song keeping crypto sexy. Right. Because <laughs> apparently, you know, Bitcoin development. So let's get controversial here. Uh, let's let's get all up. Uh -oh, in, uh, uh -oh. some of the, yeah. Yeah. Let's get in some of the issues that. um that divide the crypto space a little bit and get your opinion. What are your thoughts on Bcash? I'm sorry, Bitcoin Cash and the various Bitcoin forks? Well, I'm glad that they've all forked uh, because it's uh, however few people it is, each fork brings out people from Bitcoin Core and or I mean Bitcoin and they, they go their separate ways. It's a voluntary network. So uh, you can't force everyone to stay, and the fact that they leave proves that it's actually voluntary. They 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 can choose to do that. So I'm glad that they've left. If they're not satisfied with how things are run, then they are absolutely free to go and do what they want. So it's great in that way. Um, it's not so great that uh, you know Roger is going around telling people that you know Bitcoin Cash is the real Bitcoin or whatever. Um, that part I think is uh, you know kind of insane uh like not only that has bitcoin.com and the twitter handle bitcoin i mean new people trying to get into the space that's really confusing yeah it is uh i mean to to some degree i think everyone should do their own research and learn and uh and be able to discern which which side is the real bitcoin after even a little bit of cursory research instead of taking whole hawk what somebody like roger is saying but that said, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think uh, Roger's pretty much like committing fraud at this point, telling people that. And, you know, there was like threat of a lawsuit. He like changed his website and stuff like that. So uh, if, if, if you were to make the case, Jimmy, like just really objectively take um, take Roger's perspective and make the case for why. Bitcoin Cash is the real Bitcoin. What would he say? The best case you could possibly make. I mean, the the case that he's been making has always been this is Satoshi's original vision. Uh, I, I, it's it's weird that he says stuff like that because for for me that's uh, deifying Satoshi, right? It's it's uh, it's putting him in a position that he doesn't belong. And you look at the code that he made at the beginning. It's actually not very good code. Uh, he, he's not uh, Satoshi wasn't a great programmer. There are all sorts of bugs that are in there that we as developers have to live with because 
you know, like there's like an off by one bug on object multisig, off by one bug on like calculating difficulty adjustments and stuff like that. Um, you know, the code's all spaghetti, like one giant module, like it, it wasn't very modularized very well. Stuff wasn't separated very well. The config stuff was all over the place. Like there, there's a lot of, a uh, lot of things that Satoshi didn't do very well. To Get de- together, Satoshi. <laughs> Did you just call him Toasty? <laughs> well, so I mean, when Roger and friends kind of deify him, I I, I find that kind of scary, right? Like, uh, uh, like if Satoshi were to come back, I think like Roger would like literally put him on a pedestal and worship him, and it's it's it, it's stupid because well, well that's maybe not Satoshi what would would worship roger because roger's bitcoin jesus uh, yeah maybe i don't know <laughs> it could be a mutual admiration society we've had roger on the show very early on a uh, super nice guy we've learned a lot more about in fact uh we, we hope sometime in the not too distant future to bring a bitcoinist and a bitcoin cash person on and, and do like a, a civilized debate um you know to let them make the case but i, I find it fascinating yeah, I, I I did a debate with Chris Pastia not too long ago, and uh, and yeah, we he actually agreed with me that Roger is being stupid, calling Bitcoin Cash the real Bitcoin, and that uh, you know like deifying Satoshi and all that stuff. He and I were in full agreement about that. So, huh. Roger, I mean, stop being stupid. Yeah, I mean that's kind of what I want to tell him. He's uh, he, he, like. The, the point of Bitcoin is that it's uncensorable, doesn't have a central party. He wants to make like disappeared Satoshi into that central party. That That's really stupid. It's uh, it's going against the entire spirit of Bitcoin. So for me, it, it's uh, uh, it, it, it annoys me to death. And yeah, it gives me much less respect for what he's doing. I, I mean, he's like going around telling people there's going to be a flippening. I I like challenged him to a bet on Twitter and he like backtracked as soon as he could. Uh, he like, put you off, didn't he? No, was that a different no, no, no. That was somebody else. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I basically, he, he, he was quoted in an article saying, I believe it's imminent, referring to the flippening. Uh, and he said, I think it could happen in 2018 for Ethereum, uh, in 2019 for uh Bitcoin Cash. And I was just like, okay, let's bet. You put some, put some freaking money where your mouth is. And uh, and this is where I, convinc- where I was convinced the guy is just a propagandist. He doesn't believe what he's saying. He's just uh, going around telling people this stuff so they'll buy his Bitcoin Cash. Or he's hoping that with enough marketing that they'll get some momentum or something. And this is Common, not just with him, but with like every ICO, they think that if you market this thing enough, that you know you'll get enough enough momentum to make it the the store of value that Bitcoin already is. And it's it's not only annoying, but it's it's so dishonest and uh, and so on the side of like money printing. You know what I mean? Like there there's like two ways to make money. Uh, you know, whenever in any sort of uh, monetary medium, there's two ways to make money. You could try to make more of that medium, or you can work and give some uh, good or service to other people that they find valuable. The the former doesn't add anything to civilization. The latter absolutely does. 
And, and all these people that are like printing money through ICOs or pumping Bitcoin cash or whatever, they're doing the former. And I find that absolutely despicable because that's rent seeking. It doesn't add anything to society. I, it, for me, that's at the same, that's at, that's the equivalent of a central banker or an investment banker or some other rent seeking government bureaucrat that doesn't add anything to society and like just sucks off the teat of, uh, uh, of society and uh, and like lives off the rest of us. It's it, it's it's like the worst possible thing that you could be doing, and that that's what Roger's doing at this point. He's uh, he's not actually building anything. He's just pumping Bitcoin cash. He's going around telling people stuff he doesn't believe just to get them to buy whatever thing he he wants them to buy. So. I, I mean, I, I, I've lost all respect for the Wow. He's called uh, out he's right a, here on bad crypto. Yeah. I, well, hey, we uh, wanted controversy. There you go. It is. It is. It is disingenuous. The thing that pisses me off is the, the whole Bitcoin.com and the, the Twitter handle and the confusing of, of the new people. But let's flip the switch off of off of Mr. Ver and let's talk a little bit about China. Um, decentralization, obviously, is one of the key elements of Bitcoin and blockchain, but you know, China has so much mining hash power. Now, does that pose a problem? Or what are your thoughts about that for the future of Bitcoin? If if China, if, there's, or if too much mining hash power gets put into the hands of just a few people? Well, so I, I, I think a, a lot of people underestimate the smartness of a lot of these uh, people uh, that are running these mining pools. They, they know as well as we do how much jurisdictional risk that they're taking. If they get all of their electricity off of China, then what, what's going to happen? Well, they, they run a giant risk for their business. Uh, what, what's going to happen is, you know, China shuts down miners. Now, now what do they do, right? Uh, and companies like Bitfury, Bitmain, you know, like uh, yeah, a lot of these other mining pools and stuff, they make sure that they have some geographic diversity. So, you know, they, they have mining operations in Iceland, Canada, you know, uh, Norway, whatever, wherever they, they can go and get, you know, uh, very fast cooling and a lot of cheap electricity. They're probably there already. And, and, you know, I, I think we give them too little credit and think that they're uh, more at risk than they actually are. Now, that said, uh, you know, the mining centralization thing is something that a lot of people are concerned about. Uh, again, I think it's overblown because I think a lot of individuals own these machines and they get to connect to a pool. That said, the pool still gets to cre create the block. So there's some risk there. I think uh, Matt Corallo's new... Uh, proposal for better hash. This is a protocol that replaces stratum. Stratum is the current protocol that's used between pools and actual miners. Uh, that uh, so right now the reason you join a pool is so that you decrease the variance on on the reward that you get. So if you just solo mine, then you either get twelve and a half or zero. Most of the time you get zero. Maybe once a year, twice a year. You know, something like that, you, you'll get 12 and a half. But that's uh, very risky because what if the difficulty increases, you never find the block or something like that. So like joining a pool lets you uh, not get 12 and a half, but you get some portion of that proportional to how much hashing power you're contributing. The problem with a pool is that the pool gets to decide what block it is that you're mining. So they get to order the transactions, they get to decide which transactions are going in, and then they give you the work. 
what Matt's protocol does is it separates the two things, the miner, uh, the mining reward variance and the block construction. So you can connect to and pool for uh, minor re- reward variance reduction, but still create your own block. Or you can connect to another server to go get the blocks that you think are trustworthy. And that completely changes the game because now it doesn't matter if 70% of all miners are on a single pool because the pool doesn't get to create the block. If they're all on better hash, then each individual miner can go get work, create their own work, that is create their own block, or connect to another place to create their own block uh, that that will feed them blocks, um, and that that makes it a lot more fair because the one that finds it is the one that actually created the block. So, I mean, if that gets implemented, that solves a lot of stuff. Assuming, of course, that fifty one percent of all hardware is not controlled by a single entity, which I, I really don't think is the case. And like from from that perspective, I I, I think that's that's the direction we're headed in. A lot of equipment, by the way, like uh, during like the Chinese crackdown last summer, uh, actually left China. Uh, they they started going to places like Montreal and Washington and places where with cheap electricity because they did a lot of these miners just weren't comfortable with the geographical uh, like a jurisdictional risk. If they had all their equipment, I mean, maybe they shipped like a quarter of it to either place or something like that. Uh, but the idea was, uh, hey, like they're cracking down. I should, you know, like really reduce my risk a little bit here by like opening up a center in Las Vegas or something. Right? Like there, there's lots of places in the world that can where you can get cheap electricity. It's just a matter of, uh, of finding it. And they're kind of forced to because they, they need to reduce risk for their business. They have shareholders too. Well, it's nice to dispel some of these myths and, and hear it from somebody who's been directly involved. Uh, you know, early on, you mentioned that you're not concerned about, you know, the, the big crashes, uh, the pullbacks in Bitcoin. So my question is, you know, end of 2020 comes around, will John McAfee be eating an appendage? <laughs> Uh, I, I, that, that guy is a scammer, uh, like extraordinaire. Uh, I, I doubt he lives up to his word. Uh, listen, uh, I just checked case. out his feed. I don't know if you saw this, Travis, but apparently he was off the grid for three days and this tweet eight hours ago, I apologize for my three day absence, but I was unconscious for two days at the Vedant Medical Center in North Carolina, just woke up. My enemies managed to spike something I ingested. However, I am more difficult to kill than anyone can possibly imagine. There's pictures of him wired up in a hospital bed in another tweet. Oh, my God. His wife are given the bird um, and saying, for those who did this, you'll soon understand the true meaning of wrath. I know exactly who you are. You better be gone. Uh, wow. Mm. I, I don't you kill me, I'll be more powerful than you can possibly what, imagine. That, Jimmy? I, I don't pay attention to the guys like that. I, like. It, I mean, have you ever used McAfee antivirus? That thing's like the most annoying software in well, the world. Well, he even tells you that, though. He hates it. I mean, he made a great video about how to uninstall it. That was uh, pretty hysterical. Okay, I mean, from the ridiculous to, uh, you know, I mentioned early in the interview, in your introduction, um, that you have, as a Bitcoin purist, you might have a controversial take on 
altcoins and ICOs and blockchain in general. So uh, are altcoins actually garbage coins, in your opinion? Well, I, I, I told you before that, uh, you know, there's two ways to make money whenever you have a monetary medium. One is to create more of that medium and the other is to provide some good or service to other people that, that other people find useful and then you can collect more of that monetary medium. The latter adds to civilization, the former does not. It's, uh, and you can argue that something like 11% of GDP is produced by the banking industry and they are all in the business of more or less printing money, right? Like uh, if, you, if you're a bank, you get to fractionally reserve your printing money that way. If you're part of a central bank, obviously, you're printing money. You're, you're creating more of that medium. You're not adding anything to society. You are doing nothing to benefit people. Now, in Bitcoin, it's actually very difficult to do mining. And in fact, uh, the, the cost of mining is very, very expensive. And that's what makes it a really great medium. Uh, same, same with gold. It's, uh, it's what you would call hard money. It's called hard because it is very hard to produce. Uh, whereas fiat is very easy to produce. So it's called easy money. And the easier it is, the more people want to get into it. The more people get into it, the less pro productive they are to society because they're, they're not really contributing anything. They're pushing paper around, their numbers around, or uh, you know, leveraging various financial instruments uh, and playing with, uh, you know, basically gambling or whatever. And they're not really contributing anything to anyone. But uh, if if you have hard money, then more people are incentivized to actually contribute to society. So those are the two ways in which you can make money in any sort of monetary system. Uh so with Bitcoin, it's hard to mine uh, and it costs a lot of money and it requires a lot of capital, requires a lot of long term planning. So a lot of people don't want to do it. Uh, but there's a very easy way to create more money, and that's to do an ICO or an altcoin. And that's what a lot of people have done. And I find that absolutely tragic because uh, those people could be contributing to society. They could be creating goods and services other people actually want instead of creating some random token, uh, hoping that this will be the thing that other, yeah, that, that will become the store of value instead of Bitcoin, something like that. Um, and I find those efforts to be very much wasted uh, and not only wasting their time, but everybody else's time. That's, well, but that, that's those that are seeking to compete with Bitcoin. But what about all the altcoins that are utility tokens that people are putting, you know, the various uh, models on blockchain in order to take their particular niche to blockchain to the next level? Yeah. So they all say that they're trying to build something, but what's the first thing they do? They have a pre-sale, the pre-pre-pre-sale and the pre-pre-pre-sale and then a public sale and then another sale. And then they collect like $200 million and then they sit back and don't release anything for like four years. What do you think is happening there? Are they actually building something or are they trying to print money? I think they're trying to print money. I mean, Occam's Razor, they're raising, like, they, they always aim to raise a lot of money. If you're actually a startup, and I've been at a lot of startups, you bust your ass and try, try to find a good product market fit. You're doing all sorts of consumer research and uh, trying out different things and, uh, and finding, trying to find the product that people will actually want to buy, that you can scale, that you have a unique uh, position to provide and things like that. None of these guys are doing that. There's, they they don't behave like startups. They behave more like investment bankers or something. They're they're printing it money. Seems like it does make people lazy. 
right? It seems like they go like, all right, we got $50 million in the bank now. Like, right. We have no, we have no real sense of urgency anymore. So I think, I do think you are right with that is that that sense of urgency is gone and maybe more of a, a milestone ICO might be more like, all right, we need $250,000 to get to this milestone. And so the tokens are going to be this price here. We hit this milestone. Boom. Now we do another raise because I think, I think it could be tweaked a little bit uh, to, to make that, to make the system a little better because it does seem that, I mean, EOS has $4 billion. Really? You raised $4 billion. Wow. That's a lot of money. Like, but but are people in that organization going to have a sense of urgency? They're not trying to rush to a billion dollar company now. They're already worth four billion. Yeah, and uh, and I mean, just look at their behavior. I mean, they they act like investment bankers. You know what investment bankers do? They do road shows and they 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 hawk uh, the stock over and over to retail investors uh, and like go to go to meetings with like rich people and try to convince them to buy this thing. That's what a lot of these ICOs are doing. They don't act like a startup. They're not building a product. They're not like, uh, you know, testing it out there. They're not, um, you know, creating multiple MVPs and all that stuff. It, it, like, which is, which by the way, is nearly impossible with the quote unquote blockchain technology that they're trying to do. You, you have to get it right the first time because if it's truly decentralized, you can't change it after you, you, you you make it work. Uh, I mean that that's that's kind of the rules of the game is that you're nobody's in control. So, I mean it, it, it's uh, it's wrong at multiple levels, and I I don't see the value at all. And I and I think that's uh, I mean that's been the assessment of anyone that's looked at the space objectively from a technical perspective is that most of these guys don't know what they're doing, um, and they they act more like bankers raising money for something rather than startups that are actually building. And that, that should trouble anybody because we, we know what a successful startup, what successful startups do. They work like crazy. They're, they're constantly iterating on their product and constantly trying different things and, uh, and like listening very closely to the market and their customers and stuff like that. None of these projects are doing man all, the, all they're doing is just well, I, I would say some of them i would say some of them are, are are working in the right path i think that there are some i mean what 95 percent of all startups fail anyway and with with doing an ico it's kind of like getting pre-revenue to be able to build your product now but a lot of them don't have the proof of their technology they don't have something that's already kind of working they're just kind of have a, have a white paper so i think the ones that are just strictly white paper like tron was and a lot of those are just pie in the sky but some of them who do have that technology and they are working on a build them i think that there is you know some 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 validation there but we definitely love your your thoughts on that i want to actually ask because we're maybe running out of time here i want to talk about blockchain magic fairy dust <laughs> and and how and how you you wrote a medium piece which was great and you argued how how blockchain is not really a good fit for anything other than money. And then you have a bet with Joe Lubin about this magical fairy dust called blockchain and you just sprinkle it on and solves all the problems. So if you could maybe talk a little bit about why you think the blockchain is not the be all say all that many think it is. Yeah. I, so blockchain is a conglomeration of a lot of different technologies. You have uh, public key cryptography, you have proof of work, you have networking, you have database technology, you, you, you have a lot of different things. 
The, the point of a blockchain is to not have a single point of failure. And that's why it's so attractive, because when you don't have a single point of failure, it's very hard to regulate. It's hard for the government to come in and choke it out or regulate it to hell or whatever, um, which is what happens with almost anything with a that's popular and has a single point of failure. Uh, I mean, e-gold is like uh, a very clear example. They, they came in and choked it out because... They could. Um, they they accused it uh, uh, eagled of like money laundering or something like that. Sent a bunch of people to jail. No more eagle, right? So for, that's why it's attractive. Most of these projects that are u- utilizing quote unquote blockchain are already centralized, so you're not gaining anything. Like the the reason why it's attractive is the reason why centralized uh, entities can't really use it. So to me, that's, that's what's the big disconnect. Now, there are portions of that technology that you could probably use to solve a lot of these problems that these companies are wanting to solve. So, I mean, I, I had another post, uh, Alternatives to Blockchain, that kind of outlined a lot of that stuff. You can have triple signed receipts. A lot of, a lot of companies are fearful, okay, well, these guys are going to screw me or change history or whatever. Well, get them to sign something, right? Like once they sign something and you countersign it, you both have proof that that's what they said. And like no one can say anything different. And in fact, if you want a third party to uh, audit that, they can they can sign the sign it a third time. You can have a triple signed receipt, in which case you have irrefutable evidence uh, from all three parties that you you actually ha- uh, have something that that actually happened in the past and you don't need to put it on something public like a blockchain you don't you don't need every you don't need it to be everybody's business uh, and you can have complete trust in that actual thing because everyone signed it and verified it so i mean a lot of different things can work uh instead of blockchain but blockchain itself is at its core something that Rem- uh, that does not have a single point of failure. And as soon as you have a centralized party, which almost every one of these projects does, including all coins and ICOs, uh, and, uh, and certainly enterprise blockchain, uh, you, you, you still have a single point of failure. So, You're not gaining. And this is, I want to lead right into this here, Jimmy, because, uh, you know, you were on stage with Joe Lubin, right? Uh, co-founder of Ethereum at, uh, at consensus. And, you're willing to take his bet, right? That blockchain tech won't have any significant users in five years. Is this, has the bet been taken? Well, so I've contacted him twice on Twitter. He hasn't responded. I tried calling him out. The guy's just straight up avoiding me at this point. I don't think he wants to make the bet. Uh, And I think he said that on stage just to save face because I was humiliating him mostly. Uh, like he, he doesn't, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to bet. I, I, I've called him out multiple times. Um, and I don't know, maybe he thinks he's too busy or too good for me or whatever, but he's the one that proposed it. He doesn't want to bet. I I've even proposed terms. I, I I've said stuff like, okay, well, um, you know, uh, a mid tier app on your Android or iPhone gets something like 10,000 daily active users, right? Uh, that's a mid tier app, uh, something that's a lot more popular, like Gmail or something like that, that gets millions. Facebook probably gets in the tens of millions, maybe even hundreds of millions of uh, daily active users. Um, but you know, a mid tier app, 10,000 daily active users, I think that's a very low threshold. 
if you if in five years, uh, you know, something like Ethereum has five D apps that have ten thousand daily active users, um, and then the other one is a um, hundred thousand monthly active users, uh, and do it over a period of six months. If if, if there are five apps that do that, then he can win the bet. If not, then I win the bet. That, that sounds reasonable. I, What's the bet for? I, How much? Well, I, uh, well, I'd have to. I, he said any amount of Bitcoin. I, uh, I mean, depending on the terms, I, I, I think I'd be willing to bet a significant amount on that. Hmm. Well, but, I mean, he doesn't want to bet. You say like, no it, it's all mood anyway, mood anyway. He doesn't want to bet. The guy, the guy, he's just like Roger. He doesn't want to bet. Uh, there's another guy, Nick Tomano. Who was telling me, oh, there's so many like wonderful things going on in this space. I'm like, okay, then bet me. Uh, you know, I, I, I bet you you're wrong. And and basically he he chickened out, unfollowed me, and started calling me names because I was calling him out for t- saying stuff like that. Nobody wants to bet. And that that to me tells me that a lot of these people in, at their core do not believe in these technologies. They're just, they're, they're just salesmen. They're propagandists, kind of like what I said about Roger. They, they don't believe in what they're saying. They're just trying to say that so that other people will do what they want. Um, like I actually believe what I'm saying. I, I, I really believe that Bitcoin is the future and I've put a significant amount of my worth into Bitcoin for that reason. Uh, but, you know, a lot of these other guys, they don't want to bet. Like if, if, if they were confident in their conviction, then they would want to bet. Bet me, bro. But they are not. Bet me. Yeah. I would say this. Just the one thing on that is just that because, you know, you know, since we have the show Bad Crypto, people talk to us about it and they say, are you sure Bitcoin's not just like the MySpace or Friendster of crypto? And there might be another crypto that sort of pops up that has more power or more, you know, it, it has better technology or something, or maybe it's quantum computing resistant or or something and so i mean what percentage chance do you think that bitcoin is the friendster of of crypto well um so bitcoin is has the benefit of the network effect um uh, like a very significant network effect and that is uh scarcity it ha- it is it, it's been proven over 9 years uh everything else is much younger usually uh ethereum is only what like two, two and a half years old, something like that. Uh, so like by the standards of crypto, almost everything is is insanely young. Tron's what, like six months old or something like that? It's, it's like, it, it's, it's ridiculously young. Um, and, you know, they haven't even launched their network. So really their birth is like in the future where we're like betting on this stuff in utero. So as far as Bitcoin is concerned, uh, I, I think it's it because it's lasted a long time. And this is one of the properties that you look for in a store of value. How long has it lasted and has it changed? And if it, if it changes too much, then it's no longer a very good store of value. You, you know, even if it's something that you agree with, if it changes, uh, you know, like that takes away from it because you want uh, immutability is one of those uh, one of those properties that you want out of a store of value. Um, so I, uh, first of all, I don't think uh, anything can overtake it in that regard. And if it were, a lot of people tend to argue for the technology. And I mean, I, I get that. I get why they're doing that. But a better mousetrap that's like 5 10% better is not going to uh, beat Bitcoin. And I say that because you look at something like eBay uh, and eBay has been around for like 20 years now, over 20 years. 
And, uh, and no one's really come up to challenge them in the auction space. And why is that? Well, it's because buyers want to be where the sellers are and sellers want to be where the buyers are. And it, there's a natural uh, network effect out of that. And, uh, and no one's come to challenge them because even though they have like actually pretty crappy technology, I don't, I don't know if you've ever used eBay, but they, their website sucks. And uh, for a long time, they were running on Microsoft and IIS and their site was down a lot and all of this other stuff. Uh, but they still won because they had that tremendous network effect. So for for something to beat a network effect, you need to be at least an order of magnitude better technologically. And I don't see anything out there that's even 10% better. I, I would argue most of them are clones of Bitcoin. So, and, and they don't have the development team. So they're at least worth, uh, most of them are like, like very strictly worse. Uh, maybe there's a feature to there in, in some of the other coins that might do like, you know, 10% better or something like that. But vast majority of them are clones. They don't they don't add anything. Uh, that said, if, if there was something that was actually 10 times better, and I, I'm not even sure what that would look like, uh, but say there was something that was 10 times better, that was decentralized, that had all of the features, then yeah, I'd be open to it. But to date... Every other altcoin, every other ICO is centralized. They at least have a founder that hasn't disappeared yet. And for that reason, it's centralized. Um, so in that way, it's strictly inferior already. What, what about Digibyte? I mean, because they're decentralized for the most part, and they've been around a long time. And I know we're, we're going really long on this interview. Way long. <laughs> I, I, we're going to have to have you come back on another show, bro, because you, we love chatting with you. But I, I got to throw Digibyte out there because we had the founder of them on not long ago, and they were doing some pretty interesting stuff. And is that is that a coin in your mind? Yeah, they have a founder. I mean, he gets to this like if you have a founder, they get to call the shots. And this is this is true of like Z, Zuko and Zcash, as it is with like you know Vitalik and Ethereum or whatever. Like if you have somebody that's calling the shots, it's by definition centralized right like ethereum does whatever the hell they want they 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 bailed out people they're talking about like a storage tax they're going to change all the incentives by going to proof of stake and they're going to change the trust model with sharding and all of this other stuff like they decide that centrally how how is that decentralized in any way shape or form or better than bitcoin in in the centralization uh aspect it's not. They 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 act like a government. So for me, that that makes zero sense. That they they're in any way, shape, or form better. And uh, and people that say that are kind of fooling themselves or not like have blinders on to the actual reality or whatever. It's it's uh, it's mind boggling. That is a great place to uh, to end our conversation with Jimmy Song. Bitcoin developer, author, venture partner, blockchain capital. You guys can follow his writings on Medium, on Twitter, and on Coindesk.com. It's at Jimmy Song everywhere. And his website, programmingblockchain.com. Jimmy, thanks a lot for, uh, for sharing your thoughts with us today. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. That Jimmy Song is quite the contrarian, is he not? He is. I really enjoyed that interview. And uh, as we mentioned to him after the interview, definitely looking forward to having him on again because he is a man with some convictions. And uh, you know what? Not always the same opinions that Mr. Joel Kahn and I might have or some of the other guests might have. And so 
it's fun having people on with uh, different points of view because that's how you research things and that's how you go down the rabbit hole by learning different points of view. If you are spending all your time watching the same point of view and living in a filter bubble, then you never really learn anything outside of that. And so your perspective is really skewed. Right. That's how a lot of people were so surprised in 2016 because they were watching only one media form. And when the results came out, everybody was like, what? How is this possible? Well, because you were only consuming one sort of thing. I make a point to in my life to, to read pros and cons, both sides of things. That way it helps me kind of find a nice middle ground. Most people only uh, read that stuff that uh, that helps their their confirmation bias. And it's good for us to have folks on like Jimmy Song because he might not say things that we always agree with, but it is awesome to have somebody on with uh, with his conviction for sure. What's up with Joe Lubin throwing this challenge out there and then not responding? Come on, Joe. You're not looking good, dude. You want to come on Bad Crypto Podcast and, and uh, talk about it? We can hug it out. <laughs> you know what would be hugging it out for us, guys? A couple things. First of all, it looks like uh, we've got several dozen of you. I want to say about 32 of you have uh, chosen to to come to our birthday bash so far. And I know that that's you know, early phases still because we're still – uh, three weeks plus out from it. So I'm starting to think, hmm, I'm going to need a, you know, start looking at venues here. But if you want to come celebrate with us, it is badco.in forward slash birthday, July 18th in Denver, Colorado. And uh, don't wait to get your tickets if you're going to come because usually, you know, a month out to have this many people that are coming in is like, all right, that this is growing. And, um, it, a lot of people wait till the last minute. So don't wait. If you're going to come, then get your ticket, badco.in forward slash birthday and come celebrate with us. Yep. And if you say you're going to come, please come because that helps us uh, figure out the exact uh, number of people. A lot of times people will, you know, I'm going to get a ticket and then not come. And then so don't do that because we want you to come. And uh, yeah, we want to make sure that we have the right amount of, uh, of setup there for everyone. Travis will have hugs for everybody. Free hugs. Free hugs. Uh, Joel Com charges uh, Ethereum for his hugs. I do. But I will give free hugs. Yeah. And also, please take a moment to subscribe, follow, review, share all the things that say to us, hey, uh, we like what you guys are doing and we appreciate it. We'll be reading some funny reviews, especially the five star ones that show up on iTunes, uh, Facebook and other places. So take a moment to uh, put your funny review in. And if it's if it makes us chortle, snort or otherwise giggle in some way, then we might read it on the show. Mm hmm. That's true. And uh, no, no feedback uh, should be offered about what venue we're going to have because we're <laughs> we're going to. We're choosing the venue on our own. Don't, don't bring any babies, uh, especially if your babies don't like crypto. Don't bring them. Yeah. <laughs> we appreciate you guys a whole lot. Can't wait to meet a bunch of you here in Denver. We'll be back before you know it. In fact, you might be listening to this episode. There might be another one in queue and you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't keep up with the Bad Crypto Podcast. That's the intent is we want to just give you tons of content that brings value to your world, that brings you information and that entertains you. Mm -hmm. We're only content when we're creating lots of content. I don't know what to say to that. OK, that was stay bad. bad. Stay bad.